Yes, guys, you're welcome to another episode from the Open Space Podcast. It promises to be an exciting time uh, for all our listeners out there. Like you know, Open Space is a vibrant community of professionals, creatives, and entrepreneurs that host real, relevant, and impactful conversations to grow the wholesome African and to build a human force to effect a deeper change in the African continent. We use events, videos, and podcasts. The community connects amazing professionals within Africa and diaspora. Open Space also operates as a non-profit inviting resource support from organizations around the world. We seek to be fully buzzing in 50 countries by 2025. All right, uh, my name is Iyare Imade, Conversations Volunteer, Open Space Lagos. Today we have a wonderful guest. She's a titan, uh, she's a royalty in tech space. I'm going to be introducing my guest um, briefly, but let me just say some few things about her. She's the founder of Ingressive Capital, a venture capital fund investing in African-based tech companies. She's believed to be the youngest black woman to launch a tech fund in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, she's the first solo woman to have raised a tech fund in Nigeria. Can you do that? Um, in 2018, she was named to be the Forbes Under 30 Tech. She was also named as the top 10 inspiring women raising Nigerians tech ecosystem. Then, um, Ingressive Capital, which she runs, recently announced it has doubled its investment fund to $10 million. Wow. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Maya Hogan Pamodu. You're welcome, Thank Maya. You it's nice much. to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well. I'm actually currently in rural Minnesota, and I'm coming back to Nigeria next week because it's cold here and America is a scary place right now and I want to come home. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's nice. And like you say, no place like home, right? Um, yeah. So yes. it's nice to have you on the podcast. Um, very, very quickly, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. The title of this episode is called um, Building Tech in a Changing World. So we're talking about tech, we're talking about venture capitalism, and we're talking about your personal tips for success. That's later on. First, let's talk about you, Maya. Can you walk us through the whole process of how you're able to achieve your dream from college and build a $10 million venture fund? You have the floor, Maya. Wow, those are a lot of questions. <laughs> um, yeah, for, for me, it started, so I'll go way back. So my dad and his brothers moved to the U.S. for higher education from Ogun State, and uh, they all married and settled down with Minnesotan women. And a few of them moved back to the continent, including my family. So my older sister and I stayed in the U.S., my younger three siblings were raised in Nigeria. And I grew up kind of seeing wow. Nigerian entrepreneurs in Minnesota, Nigerian entrepreneurs in Nigeria, and seeing the difference and what, and what uh, various entrepreneurs had to deal with. Uh, and so I got a keen understanding of some of sort of the market issues, um, the struggles that African entrepreneurs had to deal with, but also grew to really understand the concept of the higher the risk, the higher the reward. Because those who did succeed, though it was fewer and far between on the continent, succeeded majorly. 
And so went on to college in the U.S., did Pomona College undergrad, Cornell pre-law program, then worked in New York at J.P. Morgan, and then in private equity research. And, and then after some time in that, I realized that I really just wanted to focus on, on tech in Africa. This was before it was cool. This was back in like 2014. <laughs> I was about a year out of college, back when the conversations were less like, what's the next billion dollar African unicorn we're expecting? And more do Africans have mobile phones? Wow, you know, is there internet in Africa? Those types of questions. Back when like you couldn't stream Netflix or you couldn't stream a video from uh, Lagos or like even VI. <laughs> Times were rough. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, I started Ingressive Advisory. So I initially tried to start a fund, but I only had had about a year of professional experience. And so I got a lot of swift no's. And um, decided to launch an advisory company assisting global investors and technology companies to enter and operate across Africa. And uh, did that for a number of years. We worked with over 50 companies ranging from Y Combinator, 500 startups, Techstars, uh, GitHub, Figma, USAID, like a bunch of different firms. And then in 2017, with a bunch of our clients, we launched Ingressive Capital. And uh, I've been investing from that fund. Uh, last year, we raised $10 million. Uh, we reached a $10 million raise on that fund. We were backed by the Nigerian wow. Investment Authority, so the Sovereign Wealth Fund in Nigeria, Plexo Capital, which is backed by Alphabet and Google, among others, Google Ventures, among others. Um, a number of other groups. So, so not only did we get institutional money, as well as you know, 80% of our limited partners run later stage investment vehicles. So we have a, a huge, a, a mass of, of VC dollars of it from international funds or funding from the executives of those funds. But, but we also got investment from market leaders across Africa. So the, some of the biggest banking families, the biggest telco families, the biggest oil and gas families, because we really want to provide business development and financial or fun, fun, basically fundraising support to our portfolio companies. And since I don't have all that, we, we <laughs> recruited these companies <laughs> to invest in the fund so that when we invest in a company, it's very easy for us to share those, those opportunities with our own fund investors. And then, and then those guys can, our, our, the companies we invest in can get access to that much more. It's very, very wonderful. You've, uh... You really done so much. You really conquered so many mountains. I know the road may not have been easy for you, but it's glad to know that you're doing great things. But let's talk about tech. In your own view, what is tech and how has it affected the ordinary African? Like you said, you mentioned back when it was not cool to be in tech, where we couldn't actually watch um, videos on YouTube without having faulty internet. But for you, how has it affected the ordinary African? I'm sure you've been to a lot of African countries. Um, mm -hmm. From what you observed, how do you think tech over the last five years or 10 years, how has it affected the ordinary African? Yeah. So, and I also didn't mention this year in 2020, we launched a nonprofit, Ingressive for Good, and we provide right. micro scholarships. So we sponsor students' computer science university education at top tier, basically the you know top universities that produce employable talent. We, we sponsor their computer science degrees. We provide, or we buy laptops and data for students. And we also wow. um, 
sponsor their online education. So if somebody wants to take a Coursera course or you know whatever upskill, um, we will sponsor those as well. So we do micro scholarships, all of those. We do technical skills development, so uh, developer training in partnership with like HNG and and various other organizations in Nigeria. And then we also do awesome. talent placement because our portfolio companies are constantly hiring as is you know our our thousands across the continent we place talent or those who have gone through our programs we place them into tech companies across africa so just to give yeah though to before i explain how technology has impacted the continent just wanted to sort of paint that picture and explain not only are we investing in the companies, not only are we essentially harvesting the crops, but we are also fertilizing the soil. So, so before uh -huh. people even think about in starting a company, when they first have that idea of, of I want to be in the tech space, um, all the way to their IPO, we're, we're trying to sort of build that, that pipeline. But to answer your question then, you know, the continent has, has really only, I would argue that that internet has really only been usable internet. Like I'm not talking about, yeah, it might've been around for a while, but you know, streaming, streamable internet. <laughs> That's only been a thing. I'd say even in the last five years, I know MTN has been around since the, you know, I think 94, um, InterSwitch has been around since the early, I believe 2000s. But so we've had sort of been able to do basic banking and been able to make phone calls, but, but technology as we know it today, the ability to get unlimited access to internet, uh, to, to information online has yeah. only been, I would say the last five years and also internet penetration to reasonable rates. Like in the last few years, we're finally seeing that like over 50% internet penetration across the continent. We might, we might have, we might have, you know, had between 80 to 90% mobile penetration, but those are just, you know, people with, you know, basic dumb phones, I guess they call it, um, making calls. And so, so that's only, we've only seen that the last few years and that's afforded for crazy growth. Not only has there been a 2x in the amount of venture capital dollars coming into Africa since 2016. 2016 it was 129 million, 2017 it was 560 million, 2018 it was 1.2 billion, last year it was well over 2 billion. And this year with all the acquisitions and and IPOs, we'll we'll see that number significantly increase again. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if it was close to double again despite being in pandemic times. But we've also seen, so like all that liquidity activity, all that VC activity, and we also see crazy upticks in the amount of technical talent coming from the continent. You know, even just what, five years ago, Andela applications, um, you know, when they first started out, they, you know, maybe had a thousand, five thousand applications. And, and in, I mean, last time I checked in 2018, it was like, oh, 75,000, 100,000 applications. Wow. For crazy amount of, of developers applying to go through the, the Andela system. And I wouldn't be surprised if Moringa and the others were, were, were comparable. Like the, so those seeking technical skills and then also, also the, the impacts of that, you know, one over half of Kenya's GDP is transacted through mobile money now and PESA and, and in Nigeria, I believe it was in 2018, maybe 2019, Nigeria had the highest rate of growth in peer to peer Bitcoin transactions, only second to wow. China. And so we see when technology hits, it hits and it takes mm. off. And not only is it providing people the ability to 
become developers and become successful technical talent, you know, hence all the, all the growth of, of startups that we've seen on the continent and also po poaching of technical talent and Endela models. But it's allowed for the sort of, uh, once the pervasion of ubiquity, I would say, um, of tech has really spread, once everyone's using it, then we see the crazy, the crazy numbers. When you have 1.2 billion people on a continent, you know, 200 million people in Nigeria, just how much things can grow when you have everyone mm. online and with a mobile phone. Not only self-empowerment, self but also engagement of services. So why mm. all the companies want to focus on Africa now. It's crazy. That's that's a very wonderful take. I, I'm blown away by the fact you said about um, the Kenyan GDP, half of it, the transactions are done with tech. That's really amazing. And uh, it's a very wonderful stats you bring it out and how they are affecting the ordinary African, which is very, very wonderful. Thank you so much for those insights. Secondly, on the area of tech, Africa has the ability to produce viable startups and it has caught the attention of the entire world. How has the world changed its perception of Africa? You've gone around the world, you've met people around the world who are not Africans. How do you think their perception, how do you think they are, you know, when you watch movies, you see them look at Africa in mud houses, like we can't speak with English. Now that we are producing lots of startups and tech is really catching fire here in Africa, has it really changed the perception of how um, people that are not African see us? Yeah, things have, perception has incredibly changed. You can even tell, going go on Twitter. So I like to say social media is the new passport. You don't have to have a visa to go to or to get in touch with any of these executives from you know Silicon Valley, from you know anywhere in the world, from Tel Aviv, from New York, da da da. Everyone is accessible through a single tweet or through a single DM. Like everyone is a LinkedIn ad away. And I really want people to capture that and to recognize that. And that in these changing times or in these times now, especially with limited travel, et cetera, et cetera, people are available online. And I'm seeing the incredible engagement and connection from and receptivity of foreign investors with Nigerian entrepreneurs or greater African entrepreneurs. Yeah, there's a bunch of crazy stuff that's happening with the hush puppy, blah, 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 and the <laughs> whatever, whatever. But, um, but I think that those people who are very unsophisticated and who likely you wouldn't want to work with anyway have no idea about Africa. Uh, and and have never like still think everyone lives in a in a tin hut and they probably haven't you know they probably haven't they probably don't know how to google and they probably have never traveled outside the country like the the people those sorts of people skip them <laughs> but um <laughs> but the people who have any base level of sophistication about global events and, and and a real understanding of the tech market you cannot deny what's happening in africa and we're seeing wow. even the top global funds from andreessen horowitz and sequoia and you know google ventures gv you know y combinator Techstars, google launchpad like all these guys are very either they're investing in africa based or or africa focused businesses and so the top investors in the world the ones who have had the highest returns blah 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 are looking and actively engaged in african tech and and so if to have to look at you know unsophisticated people who are think who are so backwards they don't even know what's happening on the continent don't mind them they're not even they're not involved anyways and as it, as it sounds they're clearly not involved in tech in general, because they would see what others who are, who are the top leaders in VC globally are doing, which is they're, mm. they're doing a lot in Africa. 
That's true. Just to add to your point, uh, let's go away from tech a little bit. I was really astounded to find out that, I don't know if you watch football, um, Manchester United is a very big club in England. In trying to promote their jersey, their new um, sports jersey, they use a Nigerian um, artist. I don't know if you know Bonner Boy. So I just call me thinking that, why, what's so special about the Nigerian market that these guys are always trying to use us to brand whatever they're doing and everything? So it's really amazing. And, and I, I actually, from the, I'm not in tech space, but from the outside, I can see a lot of um, tech companies coming to Nigeria, big investors coming to Nigeria and investing in tech games. So, and just to buttress your point, definitely to affect the perception on how they look about our tech. Um, my top question this part is that as more jobs are being created online, do you think it's going to affect employment in Africa? Do you think it's going to increase unemployment in Africa now that everybody is now doing things with tech? People are now working from home. You don't need to have so many people in the office. So do you think it's going to create more unemployment in Africa? Yeah. So to answer your first question, yeah, I do believe that this, that, you know, the, the second largest export from Africa next to oil is entertainment, is culture, is media, you know, you know, I would say culture. Um, that's absolutely a real fact. And, um, and why now? I mean, I don't think it's new. The, the, the focus on, even from a music perspective, the beats, the, the, the cadence, the, from a fashion perspective, like I'm not even going into the luxury designers who were sort of copying the Ghana must go bags in the last, you know, five years there, there, that, that's, that's one iteration in one case, Beyonce and, and all that, you know, all these guys are just now giving credit to the mm. Africans from, from whom they are taking ideas and, and sort of taking engagement. But this is not in any, in any capacity new. From, I won't even, I'm, I'm not even going to go into the details of, of the last, you know, 400 years and the things that have been sort of taken culturally from the continent. True. But, True. but the only thing that is new is now people are leaving, are giving credit to, the, to their source. And also, you cannot deny 1.2 billion people, the fastest growing consumer classes in the world, fastest growing middle classes in the world, and in any given year, three to four of the 10 fastest growing economies in the world. You can't ignore that. If you do, then you're just willfully disregarding economic growth globally. So that's, that's on your first point. And, and, and yeah, I would say that the though it, it can potentially, I mean, we're going to see what happens with, with, the, with, the, with the rest of the world. But right now, I was just looking at a statistic, 98% of, of capital goes to Asia, North America, and Europe. So only less than 2% is allocated for everywhere else in the world. And despite that, we've had uh, 2x, so like, you know, two times the growth every year in VC dollars since 2016. And I really, even seeing the way that Africa has handed, Africa as a, as a whole, but specifically Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, and, and elsewhere, Rwanda, have handled the pandemic, Ethiopia, and how not only there are lower cases, but lower deaths than most other places in the world, just as a testament to the, I, I, I don't wanna say innovation because it's, it's, it's not necessarily innovation, but the opportunity and competence of the key regions where we're looking. And I, I really think Africa's here to initially funded by international capital and then you know taking in our own hands and sort of defining our consumerism and, and defining our where our investment dollars go ourselves 
is one thing. We'll see how that comes to fruition, but I think absolutely Africa is here to stay. That's, that's wonderful. Um, so I also asked, do you think it's going to affect employment in Africa? Is it going to cause job insecurities? That now that we're now going to tech, everything is now online, would it cause an increase in unemployment here in Africa? Uh, I don't think it would produce an unemployment. I think it's only strengthening because my siblings, they, they went to schools in Nigeria. You know, I've done programs locally and, and talk less of the, of the actual education, but at, at public schools in Nigeria, with the strikes that are constantly happening, even if oh you're a straight A student, it can take you six years, eight years to graduate from university for factors completely outside of your control. That stops people's lives from developing in a way that's not in any way their fault or their, their, what should be their responsibility. And I think with this new, having all courses online, people being able to get mm. their education entirely online, this is mm. really going to liberate the African continent. I, I, you know that Nigerians, Nigerians are the most educated nationality in the US period. Like you can Google it, these are facts. And just what, what can happen when you give those similar opportunities of education to people at the and access of their phone. So I think upskilling is only going to increase employability from, from now it's going to be democratized because everyone has the same access, everyone has the same opportunities through their phones, through their laptops. Yeah. Now it's just whoever wants to work the hardest and, and, and you know that's going to come from talent on the continent. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, as far as employability, it's the educational component, and then it's the, the apprenticeship and the access. And with this digital transformation, people can get internships anywhere in the world. You don't have to be based in Silicon Valley to work True. at you know, Uber, to work at Facebook, blah, blah, blah. You can, you can work remotely from wherever you are. So again, getting those base level apprenticeships, getting those fundamental skills in order to really scale, in order to get that to sort of crack into the space. And because of social media and the social platforms, you can apply directly to people. You can message them directly being like, hey, can I shadow you? Can I, you know, can I intern with you? Can I do X, Y, and Z? And people's receptivity, because everything is virtual and they're not meeting people in person, has only increased. So yes, I, I, I am certain I am certain that employability and that the new age of this, this digital transformation of the world due to the pandemic is only going to benefit the continent. And we've really been seeing that with some of our programs with the nonprofit. We recently uh, launched a, part, or a program with Coursera giving out 5,000 courses to the first wow. um, African youth who, who would take them. And we saw an uptick, an automatic uptick. And, and we, we have some unlimited accounts as well and just seeing how hungry people are to learn and to get the skills mm. wherever they can get access to. And that hunger, I don't see anywhere else in the world. So yeah, I think, mm. the, I think the playing fields are only becoming increasingly democratized. And in Nigeria specifically, you know, there've been these subsidies for fiber, so for, for internet connectivity. And as data costs continue to go down, we'll only see more of this upskilling of the, of the average Nigerian. Wow. Wow, that's massive, massive. And to all our listeners out there, Maya has been dropping so many gems, so many opportunities that we could take advantage of. Um, I'm sure we'll have some of them on our link so you can visit them, Coursera. And I think at the end of the podcast, you just tell us how... Go to www.ingressive.org, O-R-G, I-N-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E.org. If you go on there, you can not only join a community of other techies, you can get these access to these free Coursera courses. You can 
get access Master. to other free tools to, to launch your business. And then you can apply for funding for your laptops, for data, for university, computer science degrees. Go on ingressive.org. And if you have a startup, ingressivecapital.com. Yay, that's massive. Uh, thank you so much, Maya. Um, let's move to the next question. So Maya, you're a successful field. What trait has made you become an owner of a venture fund? What are the traits you possess over the years, character traits that you possess over the years that have made you become the only black female to own a venture fund? Awesome. So um, I need to give some correction. Um, I, I launched the largest venture fund by a sole black female. Okay. And this is a tech venture fund. In, so we have the largest, first, I'm the largest first time fund, tech fund of a black female. And I'm the youngest to launch a fund in Africa. And Whoa. I'm um, the, the first sole female in sub-Saharan Africa to launch a tech fund. So, so the, yeah, those are, just to clarify, I'm not the only, like, okay. <laughs> capital, uh, Takumbo Ishmael I, is a boss in the, in the VC space, and she launched before us, um, but she's not in tech. Um, so, so VC, she, she came before and then, and then they just raised a $75 million fund, not exclusive to technology. So she is amazing. And I mean, I'm not the only black woman fundraising. Uh, so the traits that have allowed me to sort of build what we have built, I would say one, resilience and yeah just not giving up persistence i really i took that as an offense at the beginning of a few years when people would call me persistent but now <laughs> as any of our portfolio companies any of our investors any of the people that we work with persistence is my middle name and now i'm like touting that flag proud because <laughs> some people like really if you look at it the people who last in entrepreneurship and venture capital if you stick to it and you stick around long enough like if you bang your head against the wall for long enough, the wall eventually will come down. It may take years, but the yeah. wall will eventually come down. And so um, with that, like really, 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 really just being able to stick it out. You beat out 99% of the competition because people, you don't realize it. And I, I've even realized it in the last six years of my entrepreneurial and my fundraising journey to launch this fund is that 99% of the people who at the beginning, Beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, they're trying to do the same thing, da, 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 are gone doing something else or just gave up. It really just requires you to stick with it. And with that, mm. you don't stick with exactly the idea that you had on day one. I'm not like, I must do this. I must figure out this, you know, this company must stick, da, da, da. No, because then you'll become a zombie, like a zombie business. Mm. And then you'll just stick with your five users and you won't pivot, you won't iterate and it'll, you'll just go nowhere. Yeah. You need to also on that. So being persistent and keeping at it, but you keep your end goal the same. I knew the whole time that I wanted to launch a fund. When I was 23, I first started this. I, I, my end goal was still launch a $50 million fund. My path though changed every day and you need to be able to be flexible in your path, but inflexible. You need to stick hard to your destination. I had to start, I knew I wanted to start a fund. I tried to first, couldn't start a fund at first. I had to start an advisory company and then I had to launch a fund. And then the fund wouldn't be able to, to sustain itself unless we launched the nonprofit to do those like, you know, ecosystem building initiatives. So that was three parts. Had I just been like, I need to start a fund. I need to start a fund. I need to start a fund. Not been able to build up my reputation, my track record, you know, take, do things to get, to gain investor trust so that I could launch a fund. I would still be at square one. So be flexible in your path be firm in your destination. 
That's mm. like the most important thing, specifically for Nigerians, because you know, we can, like, we can all be hard headed. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not wrong. The consumer is wrong. The consumer doesn't <laughs> want to buy their product because they're stupid, you know? No, that's not, that's not it. Being, being very conscious, and this is the other thing. At first, I started with being like taking, taking all the feedback and taking people not engaging and not buying and all those as an opportunity for me to push harder, which it is not. All, you're mm. supposed to listen. If you're building a, a product for a customer or you're trying to raise capital and people say no because X, Y, and Z, don't take it as personal. No, actually, my blah, blah, blah. It's not in any way for you to defend or to protect or to anything like that. Listen. Mm. You keep hearing the same things from your customers. I don't like this tool because I can't do X, Y, and Z. Oh, mm. I'm, I'm building the wrong solution. They actually wanted, you know, their pain point is this. I was actually wrong in building this. I'm listening to their pain point. I'm hearing all my customers say the same thing. They're leaving because of X or, you know, my product fe feature isn't developed enough or my engin engineering, my backend isn't, you know, the, the product keeps failing and it doesn't work for them. Whatever the thing is, you don't need to incorporate every single piece of advice you ever hear ever. But you keep here, but always be listening. You know, every time you sit down, say you're fundraising, like when we were fundraising, I took every, we've, I did, in order to raise just $10 million, I had four, almost 400 straight pitches, as in sitting down, opening a presentation, pitching to a group of people, they say yes or no. 400 of those to raise $10 million. That's not even counting the number of emails I sent, the number of back and forth phone calls I had, did it all, that kind of stuff. This was straight sitting down with somebody pitching in front of them, like mm. almost 400, wow. about 380. So to say that, that's like about one in every 10. So one, don't expect every, don't get exhausted and you know, give up because your first couple of meetings didn't go well. It's just like every one of those is a learning session. My pitch got better. So at the beginning, I closed maybe one in every 30 investors. By the end, it was maybe one in every three, one in every five. Why did it improve? Because I used each one of those investor sessions. Every time I sat down with an investor, I used it as a free consulting session. You want to tell, like, I'm obviously going to teach you about the ecosystem. I'm going to teach you things. I need to be the expert in my space. But you have feedback and you have advice on, on, on ways that we could present better or or things that we should be thinking about or, or, or advice on, you know, your past 20 years in the industry and what you've realized, listen, use mm. the, it's not a no, it's advice as if you hired a consultant. It's like you hired and, and Anderson tags or McKinsey or something to come and give you advice on your business. That's essentially the same thing. Every time you do an investor meeting or a business partner meeting, except it's free. So just listen to what people say. That's the most, I can't stress it enough, especially with Nigerian entrepreneurs. Listen, <laughs> that problem myself. And the other thing is, I know that, you know, it can be very hard and you can be worried about, oh, if I share this, my company idea, this person will steal it. Or I don't, I don't want to, you know, I'm, uh, I have limited cash flow, so I can't pay people well. So I need to, you know, hire lower talent than I wanted to, da, da, da. No, don't. So two things. One, don't share your secret sauce. But in order to find the right people, you need to always be talking about your, your vision. You will find that you'll find the key business partner or the first customer or the first investor from those serendipitous moments of when you're just out at, you know, getting breakfast, you're at the market, you're at, you know, the wherever, and you're like, oh, I, you know, I'm into this space, I'm doing da-da-da, and then you're like, and then the other person's like, oh, my brother, he's the CEO of da-da-da, you know, and then boom, that's your first contract. All of my major, major business developments happen from serendipitous connections. 
So be open. Don't, don't tell everyone your secret sauce and the back end and exactly how you're doing everything, but be talking about, Hey, I have a business in this space and this is what we're excited about. And this is what we're looking for. Be sharing those things, generally planting the seeds constantly, because that's how over time, if you're always planting your seeds, eventually something's going to stick. So that on one side and the other side is pay people or give them equity. You can't, you know, just because you're really excited about your business and the long-term success of it, if you hire people and you're paying them, you know, 10,000 Naira a month, 20,000 Naira a month, something they can't even live off of, you know, you, you can't expect people to perform their best and you can't expect people to be as invested in your business as you. So if you want people to work their hardest, not only do you need to figure out what, what do I pay this person so they can live comfortably and live, live a life, such that they can really dedicate to work. They're not always, you know, putting scraps together, hustling, skipping meals, da da. Yeah. Pay, people, pay people market rate, so they'll also be dedicated to your business, and they won't tr they won't try and take from it. I hear all these people being like, oh, I hired blah blah blah, and then you know, within so within two months, the person was you know taking my business re relationships, doing their own thing. Well, how much were you paying them? Ah, you know, I could just do thirty k. Da da. Well, <laughs> that's your answer. So. So properly incentivize people and also make sure the people you're hiring, not, that they not only have the skills, but they have the, the same, same long-term objectives. Because if you get people and they're passionate about something, they'll work, they'll work twice as hard for half the amount. Like keep, find people who really want, you know, to learn the skills that you're teaching in, in that role and who really, really want to be in that space and have the same long-term vision. If you get people who are not motivated, no matter how much you pay them, they're not going to do good work. They're not going to stay committed to your business. And so those are some of the things like I would never again start a company by myself and I would never again start a company without advisors, people who have no vested interest as in they're not, they're not close to my business space, whether I succeed or fail, it's not going to impact them. They don't care. And who have mm. at least 10 years of expertise in the area where I need advice. Those are the type of advisors you want to get. Don't get somebody mm. who's your competitor, you know, and, and blah, 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 or like your mom, cause she's great, but she doesn't know about business. <laughs> Like, no, make sure the person has deep market experience and exactly what you need to know. And also that they have no vested interest. There's no, nothing on either side. I mean, they could, they could have, you know, investment in your company. So they also wanted to succeed, but you just, but if, if, unless it's that circumstance, unless they actually have ownership in your business, don't make sure that they're sort of distant. So it, it, it doesn't impact them on either side. Wow. So you really dropped so much top keys on opening a business. And we had other questions, but you've, what you've said so far has summarized everything. We're going to talk about the challenges for startups in Africa and how young startups can scale them. But you've talked a lot about uh, resilience, persistence, how to keep going for pitches. And by the more pitches we go for, the more we improve ourselves. Or basically, the more things we do, uh, if you want to get into writing, for example, I heard that um, Stephen King writes every day. The novelist Stephen King, he writes every day. And the more he keeps writing every day, the more he improves himself. So just like you said, um, how you're going for um, 400 meeting people to speak about um, your pitches, and you kept going and going and going, and didn't get tired, and at the end of the day, you kept getting better. So um, for all our open spaces out there, um, like you've heard from Maya, it's just to say that just keep being resilient, be persistent, and um, like she also said, also listen, you need to know what your customers want. You need to know who you're serving and what do they want to do. And not be too stiff in your ideologies on how to serve, serve people or your products. Thank you so much, Maya. So I think you wrapped up that 
whole section. But next question is for those who are just out there who are listening, people like myself who have no, should I say, history in tech, who have no um, experience in tech, but really want to join tech or want to carry out a career in tech. And they are encouraged by you. They see how you're doing great things and they want to go into tech. Now, how do I start? Like, I have an interest in tech. How do I start? Okay, um, you have an interest in tech. Uh, and I would say on this, this is one of the most important things. Right now, being a founder is so sexy. It's trending. <laughs> business, da, da, da. If everyone's a founder, who's going to work for the company? You know, like how, how do you scale something if no one is working for the company aside from you? So don't like, just as pe much people are committed and oh, being, I want to be the Mark Zuckerberg of da, 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 da. Mark Zuckerberg didn't start that company by himself. He was just the one that was publicized. How many people, how many engineers, how many marketers, how many people with, who are good at fundraising and product and, pit and, like, and market placement, like how many people did he have around that were the reason for his, his, his success, not himself? And so, and all of those people became too, rich too. Like he wasn't the only one to become rich. So, or wealthy. So I want that to be stuck in people's minds as well. Don't, if you, if you don't want to be a founder, don't. And also acknowledge the fact, if you have aligned vision and you have skills that plug in with somebody else's, you don't need to be the captain. You don't need to always be the captain. So, mm. so I want, I really, really, really want that to, to stick in people's Fame minds. Fame is really attractive. You know, we look at you. I saw your picture on Google. Nice pose. Nice. I'm like, wow. You so can still get credibility at... by being an expert. <laughs> you don't have to be the boss. Like, right. if, I, if, if I, so Naval, the founder of AngelList, talks about different ways to get wealthy. He talks about one is the, the seed planting, what I said at the beginning, which is I, if you are always talking about your business, you're always going out and planting seeds, talking to everyone about it. Hey, this is a space I'm in. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're doing. How can we help? Da -da, doing nice favors for people all around town. And then eventually those seeds, something's going to stick. The other type is pure luck. So it's just, you know, you win the lottery, blah, blah, blah. The other type is being able to benefit from others' luck by being an expert. So when people want to get access to that wealth, they have to leverage you. There are so many people who are not the CEOs and the, face, the faces of blah, 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 who are just industry experts who other people have to use in order to get something done. And you know what's even better about that? People who are the CEO are constantly being scrutinized and have to yeah. care what other people think constantly. They paint you the pretty picture, da, da, da. You think Mark can just go to the store and have a life? It sucks. Yeah. And, I've, and I, I've, I've spoken with a number of people who have major levels of fame and it's just as much of a jail as it is anything else. You can't live your life freely. Mm. So, to, so to, especially in this Nigeria, you know, you know how things can be. So, <laughs> so to be able to be an expert and to be a part of something bigger, have ownership. What people need to optimize for is ownership. You need to have equity in businesses. You need to, you need to be participating with other experts with aligned vision, and then you can build wealth out of that. And what's the greatest part of building wealth by having ownership and not being the point person? You can live your life and you have money and you have success, but nobody's scrutinizing you and nobody's staring at you to be doing X, Y, and Z. You don't have all these obnoxious mm -hmm. obligations. It's actually mm -hmm. much better. So, yeah, so to protect your points, um, going this pandemic now, Bill Gates has been going through a lot. Do you get, he has been going through 
so much scrutiny, people saying that he's trying to put in um, microchips in us. Why should he be the owner of the creator of the vaccine? And so many things. So just to buttress your point, I really see what you say, but it's good to be the side guy, not to be the face of a particular brand, right? Yeah, it's like, who, who knows who the, the CFO of uh, Microsoft is? Like, probably not a lot of people off the top of their head, but guess what? He's rich too. Like, yeah. his, his life is okay. Because not everyone's staring at him. He doesn't have to do a bunch of press interviews and be harassed all the time. So being not in the limelight is something that people should aspire for, but making sure that they're still, they still have equity and they still have ownership. And to go back to your point about tech and, and when you want to, or like when people are thinking about tech, yeah. start by figuring out what industry and what things you're passionate about. What spaces, you know, what verticals? I'm really excited about financial services. I'm really start excited about, you know, or I'm really excited about, so it can be within a vertical. It can be like, I want to work on agriculture stuff. I want to work on, on, on telecommunication stuff. I want to work on energy stuff. You, you either select it that way and then find, you know, your, your positioning within the space based on your skills, or you start on the skill. I really like writing code. I really like designing things. I really like social media management or marketing. You can either work on that. And so then it doesn't really matter which space, which, which sort of vertical you work in. And always understanding your why. Why do you wanna work in tech? Because it's sexy and it's trending and you wanna become rich quick? That's gonna burn out. Like that's probably, you're not gonna stay committed in the long term to a business because you're trying to get rich quick. You'll get exhausted and tired because it takes 10 years. Um, so really get down to the, to the core of why you want to do something and how that aligns with your personal skills and what you're passionate or what you're excited about so that to make sure that you can stay in it for the long term. Because this is a long, like startups don't become, you know, Facebook, Uber, blah, 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 like Amazon. These all are 10 to 15 year journeys before the companies really hit success. It's not in any capacity an overnight, an overnight success. You know how big Interswitch, wow. how many, Interswitch I think was founded in 2000 one and now they're just they're just making plans to to list on london stock exchange for 1.5 billion so 20 years 15 years you know so it takes it really, yeah. really it takes time to build businesses and so i would say with start start yeah start exploring the verticals different different industries and then start building decide what your key skill sets are going to be and then really develop your skills because eventually regardless of if you're a ceo you're the head of the business or you're uh, a member of the executive staff or, or you're supporting in some capacity, just make sure you have ownership, um, which means equity in the business. Whatever your role is, you, you wanna make sure you really hone down on your key skills because that's really how you're going to become indispensable and is like, absolutely, they can't replace you, so they need you at the company. That's how you're going to be able to demand your salary as opposed to people telling you what, what they're gonna pay you. Wow, that's so many gems dropped right there. Um, so I just found out we have very few minutes to go. So very quickly, I would love to ask you this question. Um, during the global pandemic, a lot of things have happened. A lot of business have crumbled. This 2020 alone. For you personally, how do you adjust when the world changes? How do you adjust to strategy? What's, what's are your, um, what do you watch out for? Um, are you the kind of person that sees things like four years from before it happens or it happens and you now make um, changes? How do you adjust to changes? I mean, I'd say that I, I, I was focusing on African tech. I, when I say before it was cool, I mean before it was cool. So in some things, I can see what's going to happen years before. Like I was, I was talking about, there's going to be billions of dollars invested here in the next five years. There's going to be da 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 And then back then, people were like, okay, small girl, 
you need to just <laughs> be quiet. Go get, you know, go get a just, you know, stop with all this, your dreams. But it, 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 turned, it turned out and then we, and you know, we'd like to think we knew what we were talking about and looking at our portfolio of companies, you can see them on our website. We, our companies are doing well. We're not, it's not nonsense. And so I would say in some capacities, as, as, as far as, you know, looking at where market, where industries are going to develop and, and that sort of thing, we have, we do have some foresight. And then I would say the other side, we do, of course, new information comes every day as far as what's, mm. you know, what's, what's a growing market opportunity, what's happening next, da, da, da. And, and then when that happens, we have to pivot and then we have to think differently. So, so I would say I have my general themes and my general beliefs, but there's nothing, not a thing in the world that I am so deeply committed to believing that if I have substantial information to the contrary, my, 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 um, and further develop their, their perspectives on things, even with contrary information are, are, are going to find it difficult to operate and succeed in the world. You can have, you know, you can be hard headed about, about wanting to get somewhere and about the end destination but listen to the data, every, every comment, every market event, everything like that, you need to constantly be incorporating, adopting, learning, analyzing from new information. Thank you so much. Um, we have one last question or two last questions. Um, so when do you know, like you just said now, when do you know if it's a good time to respond to a market trend or build a plan based on filling a gap in the market? Mm -hmm. Okay, when, well, when do you know? okay, go ahead. I'm an investor, so that's I'm not an entrepreneur. So that's a question for an entrepreneur. I'm I mean though I though though I was an entrepreneur at a time, and I can't answer generally. I'm I'm now on the other side of the table. So as we start building those those bridges, because there are so many. You live in Nigeria, you know there are infinite things that could be worked on that are you know monetizable solutions right now. But um, I need the entrepreneurs to define the things that they specifically want to work on and what we see is scalable enough to fund. But in my days as an entrepreneur, what I find, what a real market opportunity is something you go out and you find something that a lot of people are struggling with. It's not like you and your mom and your sister or you and your dad and your brother or whatever. And that's like, that's the market. No, this is something you like the, the whole people in your, in your state have this issue. The whole people in your country, the whole people on your continent seem to generally, or a big portion of them have this same issue. And by issue, I don't mean like, oh, I wish that I had pink scarves and I only have, you know, green scarves in the market. Like that's not an, that's not, that's a vitamin. That's the nice to have a meaning like, like base level things that people need to survive. Like, uh, we, you know, like a running water type thing, like medicine. I need this to survive, not a vitamin. Vitamins are nice, but we want medicine, things that are actually, you know, antiseptic. We want things that are healing people. Um, yeah. and, and that's conceptual. I mean, it could be an actual solution as well. But what I mean by that is something like um, basic things that everyone has. Everyone has air conditioning. Everyone uses power and energy. Everyone has a growing proportion of, of the continent is connected to the internet. Everyone wants to um, stay in touch with their, and in close communication with the people that they love and trust. Like you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and focus yeah. on that on the base ones. Like how, how do we create solutions that accommodate these things? Cause not only are people going to stay, keep using that constantly, if it meets their daily need and the problem that they have, that's not currently solved, but also it has very high retention. So they're not going to fall off. 
Um, so anyways, you find those market opportunities, things that, like problems that people have on the day-to-day -day that are not being solved. You don't want to do things that everyone has a solution for, like creating penicillin is no longer a market opportunity. Like somebody did that, you know, um, yeah. or creating <laughs> the water dispenser, like water dispensers have already been created. Like sinks have already been created. Like those, those sort of things, uh, sanitation systems have been created. But if you are creating some, some solution, whatever your solution is, it's 10 times better than the closest com comparison. So we're going from like landline phone to, you know, iPhone, like that's like a 10 times plus difference in, in quality of the solution. You know what I mean? So you're looking for medicine that's also 10 times big, bigger, the better than the closest competitor. And then you're also looking for, there's a huge market as I first mentioned. So, and then the other thing is, can this product become profitable? So like one unit of sales, there's either enough profit margin on every unit of sales that it can scale to be, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of profit, or you need to focus on the, on, on your total addressable market and how many users and consumers you have. So like when we hit this scale, then this is, this is, you know, due to markets of scale, the price of the, of the good will decrease by this and this will be yeah. how much we can sell. So you look at, um, or like I create one unit of software and I can sell it to 10,000 people. That's the other thing. Is this, is this product scalable? As in, it's not always a one-to-one. -one. It's not a consulting project. Like I don't need to be involved in every single transaction that, ha that happens as a person. I can create something and that's something I created can then be sold to millions and billions of people. Like every time someone logs on to Facebook, they don't need to create a new Facebook. It's the same infrastructure. It's the same technology sold to billions of people, you know, around the world. Ad space sold to hundreds of thousands or millions of companies. I don't know how many around the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does make sense. Um, I really value your points concerning the, when there are some things that are basic, everybody's using them. Nobody has to go and create things that everybody's are just very common. Our solutions should be what people are not actually using, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Looking at greenfield markets or building on top of things. So say it came to the continent, people thought of building on top of that. So telco, so you're, mm. still, using, you're still using the same base telecommunications infrastructure, but now mm. you're building LTE. More advanced. Internet. Yeah, exactly. So, so just, it, you can, you can stack innovation or you can build an entirely greenfield space, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Maya. You've been wonderful today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation too, because I enjoyed the conversation, but I don't know if you enjoyed the conversation. Did you enjoy the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. This was great. Thank you very much. Uh, so that brings us to the end of our podcast. We would love to have Maya again. She's been wonderful. I've learned a lot. I have my notes here are filled. Uh, I'm going to go over this podcast again and again. And for all our open spaces, you can follow Maya on Instagram, um, uh, on Twitter. And um, also, um, don't forget, um, Maya, can you also talk about the, the non-profit thing again? Yes. So go on to www.ingressive.org. That's I-N-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E.org. And there you can find 
scholarships, you can find communities in your area, you can build with local developers, you can get upskilled and you can get tools online. And if you have a startup and you're ready for investing, you found product, actually go onto the website, it'll say all the things that we're looking for, product market fit, you've developed some traction, you have one technical co-founder, et cetera, et cetera. If you have all those things, go online and apply at www.ingressivecapital.com. Thank you so much, uh, Maya. It's been wonderful having you today. Uh, we'd love to have you under time. So signing out now, Yare Imade from Lagos, Nigeria for Open Space Podcast. Shout out to Sydney. She's in the background, but you can't hear her. Uh, big shout out to our Ghana team, our UK team, uh, yeah, all of Africa. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, have a wonderful day today. God bless you. Mm-hmm.